How are you guys doing? Good? Okay. How many English teachers do we have in here? Okay, almost half the room. Uh, today we're actually going to be talking about a literary device called the metaphor. <laughs> um, for those of you guys taking notes, I'm just going to give you the title now. Uh, the title of this message is called The Power of New Metaphors. Okay, so we've all heard of a metaphor before, right? We've all heard a metaphor in our daily lives. Um, people say, uh, you know, we've heard it like heart of stone, right? Or uh, she eats like a pig. <laughs> you know, like She is a pig when she eats. Actually, that would be an analogy. But um, simile, oh, we got the English teachers here. That's why I wanted to call you guys. You can help me, okay? Feel free to help me. Um, but we also hear it in songs, right? Songs, uh, oh, this is a metaphor. <laughs> but he is, Rose of Sharon, he is Yahweh. That's a metaphor, right? And then we hear like in children's songs, uh, you are my sunshine, my only, you know, you make me happy. When's good? Okay. Uh, and then we see it in famous literature. Perhaps the most famous metaphor is one by Shakespeare. And he says something along the lines of, the world is my stage, the people are its actors, and every actor has its entrance and exit. Okay. You guys never heard that one before? <laughs> uh, and then we hear it even in, you know, cheesy pickup lines. I remember in college, I parked my car, and I got out of my car, and this guy goes, girl... You is a parking ticket. <laughs> and then I got in my car, and I thought he was saying that I had a parking ticket on my car. And I was like, no, I just parked my car. He goes, no, 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 you, you're a parking ticket. And I go, what are you talking about? I'm like, get out of here, just lock the car and go, you know. And then he goes, you know what, you want to know why? And I was like, why? He goes, you've got fine written all over you. <laughs> So we hear metaphors all the time. That's my point. <laughs> but the reason I want to talk to you guys about metaphors today is because it's actually one of the most powerful ways that God speaks to his people. Okay. Uh, maybe in the Bible, the most famous metaphor is John ten fourteen. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Okay. The reason why it's the reason why the stage thing was a metaphor is because a stage, the world literally isn't the stage, right? A stage literally isn't the world. Um, even though, because we use shepherds so much, we sometimes think, oh, is God a shepherd? But literally, he's not, right? Um, we see it in Isaiah 64, 8, you are the potter, we are the clay. Psalm 18, 2, the Lord is my rock, my fortress. And the reason why I started thinking about metaphors was because two weeks ago, my sister actually visited. I hope you guys got a chance to meet her. But uh, after a Sunday service, a small handful of us went out to eat dinner. And I mean, New Philly just has this gift of getting testimonies out of people. Okay, I remember when I first went to Australia and I met people from New Philly for my first time. I flew 
for out to Australia for a mission trip, but I was still in Seattle. And the first person I met was actually Diana Suck. And then I remember when I met her, she she kind of crossed her hands and her eyes were like really big. And then she goes, "So?" I go, "So what?" She goes, "So what's your story?" <laughs> Sounds like her. <laughs> But New Philly really has a gift of drawing out testimonies out of people. And that day, Judy Choi was there, and sh- she was sitting right across from my sister, and she goes, so Tiffany, so what's your testimony? <laughs> and, we didn't, and she hadn't even met my sister yet. And um, what was cool was that I, had, I actually hadn't heard my sister's testimony either. Just being sisters, you know, we goof off, we have, we're like bestest friends, but we don't really talk about stuff like that. I don't know. Um, and so she asked what my sister's testimony was. And my sister just said, I don't know. Like, God just revealed himself to me. And everyone was like, yes. And then and I, I didn't say anything. But Judy goes, can I get an example? <laughs> and my sister says, uh, this, I was really waiting for this moment. Because on my side, I, my sister doesn't know this, but I actually fasted for my sister. And I, I had visions, and I had dreams, and God spoke to me, and everything was confirmed in regarding to my sister's salvation. So I was really excited. I was thinking, oh, man, like, are our visions going to align? Like, are the pictures going to align? Did God speak the same words to her as he spoke to me? But he was, she was just like, um, I don't know. There's one time where I had to pick up Emily from her homeless outreach, and it was nighttime, and it was kind of dangerous. I was worried about her. I didn't know exactly where she was, and I felt like God led me to make a right turn. And right when I made the right turn, I saw her. Oh, okay, so some of you guys were impressed. <laughs> I was like, yeah, and she's like, that's it. And I was, I was like, oh, that's such a good testimony, you know, but when I went home, I went into my prayer closet. I was like, what the heck? But I wasn't saying what the heck to my to the testimony, but I was like, what's wrong with me? Okay, what's wrong with me? Because I remembered when I was first saved, every little thing was such a big deal. I remember going to McDonald's. I love McDonald's, by the way. So fasting was big for me because I eat a lot. All the stories that you guys heard about me in regards to food, they're probably true. Okay, here at New Philly. But uh, I remember when I was first saved, I went to McDonald's, and I ordered a six-piece McNugget. And then when I got it, there was seven. Yeah. And I remember being, like, busting out the praise music, and I was like, Lord, you're my provider. And so I remember those testimonies. And I remember specifically saying that when I was first saved, I remember singing in the car all the time, having many revival services in my room and being like, how can Christians be so dry? How can Christians talk so like you can't relate to them, you know? And I remember swearing like I would I'll never be dry. I will never, I will never, I will always be a fireball for the Lord. And the reason I was so grieved that day was because I felt a little bit me heading in that direction. And so I got down on my knees and I was like, God, this isn't right. I was like, give me new metaphors of who you are. Okay. And the way that God speaks to me, a lot of times people say that God answers them in questions. 
you know, but God always comforts me first. I always come with it to him with a lot of anxiety. And he, the first thing he always says is, it's okay, Em. It's okay, Em. Yeah, we're on that nickname basis. But uh, he goes, it's okay, Em. Um, but why, why do you think that, why do you think that it's not cool that your sister thinks that I'm her GPS? And then I was like, oh, that's good. She thinks that without you, she can't get anywhere. And I was like, wow, that's so powerful. You know, and I was so, man. <laughs> so that's, that's kind of where this message came from, okay? And um, today we're going to be talking about this, how God reveals these metaphors or renews these metaphors and how it, it renews our faith and how it um, reestablishes us in our first love. All right, so turn your Bibles to John 3, verses 1 to 10. And we'll read it all together, so just look up at me when you guys are there. You guys ready? Okay, let's read John 3, 1 through 10 together. Ready? Go. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Okay. I'm going to bow your heads in prayer for thee. God, I just pray that today, Lord, you would give the people here and everyone listening, God, new metaphors of who you are, God. I pray that you would really renew our faith, God, as we come to you with open minds, God. I pray right now that every single wall that is built up, God, on preconceived metaphors, Lord, would be torn down right now, God, and that your word would speak, God, directly to their hearts, God. I pray that it would be their hearts that translate to their minds, O Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you are going to release, God, a mighty word today, God, and I pray that all uh, spirits of... um, 
just infirmity, God, any type of distraction, God, would be gone right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you that hearts are alert, eyes are alert, and God, that um, everyone here is ready to receive the word and to be refreshed by you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to break down the passage a little bit for you guys because it was long, right? Uh, Nicodemus, he is a Pharisee, okay? And he comes to Jesus by night. So by night, there's some significance to that. Some people say that it is coming to Jesus from a place of spiritual darkness, okay? Seeking truth, seeking light. Also, him being a Pharisee, he probably doesn't want to be seen with Jesus during the daytime as well, okay? Um, So he comes to Jesus and he says, Rabbi, we know that you are of God. Okay, he says, Rabbi, that is also very significant because Rabbi is a very honorific term and it means teacher. Uh, Nicodemus being a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, okay, teacher of Israel, knows the law really well, is all about maintaining the law, and but he calls Jesus someone who has no seminary degree, rabbi. Okay, so that kind of shows us the heart in which Nicodemus is coming to Jesus. It's not coming to test Jesus like all the other Pharisees. Uh, like, who are you? you? Who do you think you are? Okay, let's hear it. You know, it's not like that. It's more so, okay, like I'm part of these Fer- these Pharisees, but I sense something's there and I want to go seek it out, okay? Um, Jesus says to him, this is the metaphor, okay? You need to be born again. Jesus tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. Literally, of course, that doesn't mean you need to be born again, okay? I don't think that Nicodemus took it literally either. I think he was quite sarcastic when he said, okay, I came to you, Jesus, to seek out who you are, And then you tell me I need to be born again. You're telling me that me as a full grown man needs to jump back in my mother's womb and come out again. Okay, I know all things. I am a Pharisee. I know the law. I know a lot. But you're telling me this? Okay. And then Jesus answers again. Truly, truly, I say to you, yes, you need to be born again. But this time he says of water and spirit. Okay. And in order to enter the kingdom of God. Now today, we're actually not going to be talking about, even though the title of this passage is, you must be born again. We're not actually going to be talking about, you must be born again. Okay, I'm going to assume that everyone at New Philly knows that you have to be born again. I think it's hard to be part of this church and not know that there's something that needs to be changed or that there's something I want. Okay, so we're actually going to be looking more at how Jesus speaks and how Nicodemus responds. So how does Nicodemus respond? He says, how can these things be? Okay, so Jesus explains what he means. He's like, no, no, no. You heard me the first time. That's right. That's what I'm saying. And let me explain why you need to be born again. And Nicodemus sees that Jesus is for real now. And he goes, what the heck? How can these things be? be okay and what's jesus's response you should have known that okay how do you not know that you're a teacher of israel 
So what Jesus kind of does here is he kind of lays out this metaphor, right? That completely messes up Nicodemus. He thought he knew everything, but then Jesus hits him with this metaphor and all of a sudden he knows nothing. Have you guys ever felt like that before with God? Yeah, right? Right when you think you know him so well, he just reveals something else to you. And it's because God's always in the process of revealing himself to us. Okay? Uh, there's, you know, he says that I am the true vine. How many of you guys are like, when I say he's the true vine, you're like, oh. No, right? Because we've heard it so many times. And even when a preacher comes up and says, okay, we're going to be talking about Jesus as the true vine, you're kind of like, I hope he says something new. You know, we're hungry for metaphors. We're hungry for the renewal of metaphors. One metaphor that was really changed in my life was when I was first born again, uh, I saw Jesus as my rock. And I remember just standing on this rock and being like, yes, I have a true foundation and I'm standing here victoriously. But after a few years, I'm kind of like, okay, now what? You know, there's got to be more. (laughs) What do I do now? And it wasn't until I heard a message by Pastor Daniels called um, Water from Within the Rock that it really changed my perspective about what a rock was now. No longer was I standing on this rock. Yes, I'm saved. But I was on my knees, digging away at this rock, knowing there has to be water deeper inside. I'm not going to sit idly because it's not just me that needs this living water, but it's many, many other people. Okay, So that's an example of how God renews your metaphor. Now, there's actually a term for this, and it's called a subjunct, subversive. Sorry, I'm in Greek right now, so I'm thinking of subjunctive. And, oh. <laughs> but it's called the subversive function of the Bible. Okay, And this subversive function is basically when you feel like you know something so well, God comes in and he reveals a little bit more to you, and it totally messes you up. Okay, It takes what you think you know and throws it at the top turns it around and think of like a pop bottle and you go like this and then you pop it and you're just like going crazy, right? What you thought you knew, you no longer know. It's a one way that God really humbles us too. <laughs> and this happens because God is consistently revealing himself to us and bringing us back to where we began. So when he reveals something to us, it feels new, right? It feels new, but really he's bringing us back to the original love. Okay. So I think that's really key because if we don't know that it's always metaphors, always bringing us back to Jesus, metaphors can become quite dangerous. If we don't know what a metaphor is, that's why I'm talking so much about a metaphor. I don't want you to leave here think having the wrong view of what a metaphor is. Because if a metaphor helps us in expanding and understanding God, but if we, if we have the wrong view of what a metaphor is, it can actually limit us. Okay, If we think that one view, one metaphor represents God in his entirety, we have it all wrong. Okay, um, there's a woman, a pastor, actually, by the name of Jane Bowler, and she wrote a book called God the What? 
And um, one quote she said is actually, monotheism is a belief in one God, not a belief in one metaphor. So we have to make sure we know that. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about metaphors now, okay? So why is it that God chooses to speak through metaphors? Why is it so powerful? Okay, one example of where we see it used most powerfully is through prophecy, right? When Pastor Aaron comes up and she starts prophesying, if you notice, a lot of times she's speaking through metaphors. She'll be like, Renata, you are a river <laughs> that will never run dry, you know, or something like that. It's no, normally more powerful than that. But she uses a metaphor. Why? Okay. It's not because Pastor Aaron's all creative. A lot of times when she's up here, a lot of religious people get really antsy in their seats because it's like, whoa, 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 what she's saying up there. Right? But it's not Pastor Aaron getting creative. It's the way God talks. Okay, as, as prophecy is basically speaking on behalf of God through the inspiration of God. Okay, so if, we're, if they're speaking on behalf of God, it's got to sound like God, right? That's the way that God speaks. Now, why is it so powerful? It's powerful because it speaks directly to the heart. Okay, it speaks directly to the heart before it reaches the mind. Um, it's memorable and practical. Now, a lot of people don't like metaphors because they think, okay, it's getting into tough territory because if it's just memorable and practical, where we have to go back to the Bible. And that's very true. But then I would say, well, what about the book of Proverbs? Okay, the book of Proverbs was written to be what? Memorable and practical, not necessarily precise and theological. Okay, it's, it's a way that God speaks to us. The most powerful prophecies I've received were always in the form of metaphor. What, probably because I remembered them, honestly. <laughs> so earlier I mentioned that my sister was here, right? And that she shared that testimony with me and with the people that were there. And um, that she said that God, God led her there, right? And that... Um, I was saying, when you're first saved, everything feels so exciting. Every testimony is so big. Why is that? Because everything is a new metaphor. Okay, you've never lived with Jesus before. It's like meeting someone for the first time. Everything they do is new to you. Everything that he does is a new metaphor. That's why you're so on fire that first year, right? But... I'm going crazy. I keep feeling like people are raising their hands. <laughs> uh, I remember when I was first saved, my first, um, I'm talking about a lot about my first salvation, but that's because God really rebuked me earlier. Um, uh, that's how I got into this whole message. But I remember my first message that I heard, you know, like when new believers come in, they're not really listening to you talk. Pastors out there, they don't listen to you. Okay. They don't know what you're talking about. I didn't, I had no idea. I just went because I loved God. I had no idea what anyone was talking about. The only thing I knew was when they brought up metaphors. It would catch my attention. Why? Because it went straight to my heart. Okay? So I remember when I, the first message that I ever heard, I don't know what it was, obviously. But the only thing that I took from it was that camel and the needle thing. 
Remember? Uh, I remember what it is now. I, well, I know what it is now. It's Matthew. Um, <laughs> let it go. Um, Matthew 19.24. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. I remember when I heard that, I was really messed up. I was like, the needle's so small. <laughs> How does a camel go in? That's impossible, right? And I was like, wow, is that how impossible it is for a rich person? To and so, oh my gosh, I need to change. Like, maybe I don't want to be rich. Like, <laughs> I, it totally changed the paradigm. And that's what metaphors do. It changes the way you think. So my message for you today is not that, okay, we had all those new metaphors, right? But I'm saying that the metaphors are still alive today, okay? The metaphors need to be renewed, and we can continue to live on fire with God with these new metaphors, but there's some things that we need to know, okay? Especially now that we're going into this year of inspiration, I'm guessing God's going to talk a lot to you guys through metaphors, and so let's take these three points that I'm going to give you to heart and really soak it in and put it into practice, Okay. So the first thing that we need to know about metaphors as we seek God for new metaphors is that metaphors die. Okay? When metaphors become cliche because they're used too much, they lose their power. Um, metaphor is actually, here's where the teachers stay alert, okay? Metaphors is actually a type of analogy. Analogy is saying something is like something, okay? It plays on similarity. But metaphors can be thought of as more of a, a more powerful analogy because it plays on two things that are completely unrelatable. So metaphors actually play on the power of dissimilarity, okay? Oh, how can I teach this better? <laughs> analogy, do you guys remember... How, how many of you guys took the SATs? Okay, yeah. Um, remember there was an analogy section? Yeah, there was like one word and then another word. And then you had to like form a sentence, right? So if it was cub and bear. No, no, that's the, that's the question. So... <laughs> Cub and bear. So you had to form a sentence relating the two, right? A cub is a young bear. And then you go through the list of answers and you say, okay, a fork is not a young plate. <laughs> and a kitten is a young cat. B, that's the right answer. But, you know, SAT teachers tell you to go through all of them and then, and then circle the right one. Uh, so it plays on similarities. You can form a a descriptive statement about it. But with metaphors, as soon as you form a descriptive statement about it, it loses its power. Okay, it starts to lose its power. Now, when metaphors become cliche, that's when we get our Christianese. That's when we're in our prayer closet and we're like, God, you're my rock. God, but we're not even thinking. You know, that's when we're in a prayer meeting and Pastor Anita is leading a prayer topic and then you're kind of tired. Everyone's tired and you're just saying, God, yeah, I just, 
yeah, and, and I hope that you do this, and, oh, God, you're so good. God, you're my, you're a rock. You, you saved me. Thank you. Yeah, and then, and then you think you're going to get to the next topic until you send some silence, and you look up, and Anita's like, and then you're like, oh, man, I better sit up, right? But it's too late. She's like, okay, everyone, stand up. Stand up. Stand up. Do you know who you're talking to? You're talking to a God. You're talking to the living God. I'm not going to accept this. Stand up right now. You. Right? By then, it's too late. But what I want to submit to you is that, you know, it's not, it's, it's not God's fault, that's for sure. But um, it might be because the metaphors in your life are dying. Okay. I know for me, I'm in Greek right now, and I feel like I have no life. <sighs> and uh, it's really hard for me to seek God on a daily basis, especially when I'm getting really discouraged with Greek. Okay. And, but one cool thing is God renewed my metaphor with him. So to share, God renewed my metaphor with him, like one that's not in the Bible. Okay. It doesn't always have to come from the Bible. God speaks to us in different ways. God speaks to us through songs. God speaks to us through poems. God spoke to me and he said, Emily, I'm your fireworks. Let me explain. Okay, so with fireworks, when you're doing stuff, if fireworks is going on, you just look. You know what I mean? Even if I'm doing something really important, I just can't help but look. And it's like, not just look, but it's like. (laughs) You're not even thinking, you're just looking, right? And that's, God spoke to me in the middle of my studies. And it was just like, okay, God, I, I will give you my attention no matter what. No matter what. Okay, that's another example of a renewed metaphor. Okay, second point. So the first point was that metaphors die and we need to renew them. The second point is that uh, metaphors transform lives. Okay, metaphors transform lives. Going back to our passage, Nicodemus, after he has this one encounter with God, what happens? It wasn't like a, oh, snap moment, like immediate shift, right? Because he's a Pharisee. He's been dealing with this stuff for so long. It's not just going to all of a sudden change. But did you know that he did transform? Okay, let's turn to John 7, 50. And this is a scene where Pharisees are about to want to arrest Jesus. And what happens is Nicodemus is no longer coming to Jesus by night. Okay. Timid, but with boldness, he's actually taking a stand for Jesus when the Pharisees want to arrest him. Okay. So we're going to read 750. I'll read it for you guys. Um, It says Nicodemus who had gone to him before and who was one of them Pharisees said to them, does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Okay. Not only that, but Nicodemus even kind of was persecuted because of Jesus. They were saying, are you from Galilee too? 
Who are you to talk? Right? And then let's turn to John 19:38. This is after the pr- crucifixion of Jesus. Did you guys know that Nicodemus was actually also the one who took care of Jesus' body after he was crucified? John 19:38. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but seek but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen clothes with the spices, as is the burial burial custom of the Jews. Okay. This man was transformed just by that one encounter with Jesus, just by that, those few words that Jesus spoke to him. Okay. Another example of how metaphors transform. Okay. Earlier, I told you guys that my sister, okay, she had picked me up from a homeless ministry, right? Before I came, I was really involved in this homeless outreach. Uh, I actually found out recently that the where I used to go was actually where I parked my car was actually the most dangerous <laughs> jack in the box in the nation. Okay, not even not just Seattle, not Washington, but in the nation. Yeah, I, I I'm so I, my parents don't know, but they'll know now. But I'm safe, whatever, right? But I used to go there <laughs> every Saturday morning. Every single Saturday morning without fail for about four to five hours. And I would just hang out with my friends out there. I was really bold. And I don't know what I was thinking. And the Spirit of God was really in me. And I was just like wanting to love on those who were most lost. So I went out there. And I remember what got me hooked on it was my first time out, I was able to release new metaphors. And I saw lives transformed. So I remember my first time, I was kind of scared, and I was just walking around that area, parked my car. They actually call it, it's coined Jack in the Crack, (laughs) because right next to it is a cocaine, like, it's called, see, I was kind of in the loop, so all of those people that did cocaine were were my friends there, you know? So they told me there was this place called the Jungle, and that's where everyone dealt with cocaine and all the really expensive drugs. And then right next, like this, I don't know why I chose that place, but that jack-in-the-box to the east of it was that cocaine place. And then to this south of it was um, a meth center. And so it was four people that were recovering from drugs, but really the people that went there were people that couldn't afford cocaine and they needed something temporary so they would go get these uh, temporary relieving drugs that help meth addicts and then to the right was this place called beacon hill Uh, john might know it he's from seattle too but beacon hill is like the highest place for crimes and so i would go to this place and i remember i was kind of scared okay i was a little scared and i walked around and i saw this man and he was on, he was, had his beer bottle, you know, and he was sitting on the ground near this big pile of garbage. And I was like, oh, that, that's my treasure. I need to go talk to him. And um, I remember talking to God, being like, hey, God, like, how do I approach this man? 
And then first reaction was, okay, me, Emily, I was like, okay, sitting next to garbage. Maybe I should ask him, why are you sitting next to garbage? You know? And God was like, no. No, 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 no. Not the right approach. And I was getting closer, and he looked at me, and he saw me coming, and I was getting scared. I was like, okay, then what do I say? You know? And I get there, and then he was like, with his, like, beer bottle and and then he's like, want a drink? No, it's mine. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, I didn't want to drink. But when he did that, right there, I saw a tattoo on his arm. Okay, and this tattoo was a tattoo. It kind of looked like Sword in the Stone. <laughs> Remember that Disney movie? That's the first thing I thought of. But until God started downloading words for me to start prophesying over him. And so I was like, hey, what does that tattoo mean? And he was telling me, you know, in his belligerent drunk language, he's like, oh, they got it, like something. I wasn't even listening because God was downloading so much information. And I was like, I can't wait to start prophesying over you. And then he was like, I was like, okay, are you done? You know what that tattoo means? Let me tell you what that tattoo means. Did you know that the word of God is called the sword of the spirit? And that sword of the spirit is jammed in the rock, which is your salvation. Did you know that? Do you want to be saved? Did you know that Jesus believes that the word is in you and that you're grounded on a rock, but you just don't know it yet? And I was like, let me pray for you. Let me pray for you. And I started praying over him, you know, and he was drunk. He started tearing. It was powerful. (laughs) but you know what faith tells me faith tells me is that he's in a good place right now because there's too many people that i prophesied over too many people that i prayed over too many people that i sowed into that have gone to a better place there was this one lady named maria i still pray for her to this day but when i go every week it's actually a good sign when i don't see them well it could be bad one time this guy was in prison but (laughs) Normally, it's a good thing because it means they're in a better place. And I remember I was always so worried about this one woman named Maria. And I remember someone told me, I was like, hey, where's Maria? And someone told me, oh, Maria's doing so well. She actually got government housing. And she's actually going to the food bank and passing out food to the homeless now. Okay. I won't tell you guys her story just in case she ever gets this podcast. I believe that she will somehow. (laughs) But that's the way that God transforms lives, okay? And it's not just you releasing metaphors, but if someone releases metaphors over you, you also get transformed, okay? I came here through a release metaphor. I came here, I remember when Pastor Christian invited me here to be an intern pastor, I was not, I was doing my own thing. I really didn't want to come really, okay? But I was, something in me was like, I feel like this is right, So I went to a pastor. It was actually the pastor that baptized me. And I went into his office and I was telling him, so there's this church in Korea. They're inviting me out. I'm not sure if I should go. Um, This, this. He's like, Emily, Emily, what do you want? What are you thinking? And I was like, I just want God to lead. And he's like, like how? You know that song like, Jesus, take the wheel. (laughs) So I was like, I want him to steer. It's so dead, that language, honestly. I want him to steer. I want him to steer. I want him to take the wheel. I want him to take the wheel. And then you know what he said to me? He goes, Emily, Jesus can't steal or can't steer a parked vehicle. And I was like, oh. <laughs> I was like, okay. And he, he just said, if you don't move, how is he supposed to steer? You know, you can move there and come and he might steer you back. You don't know. But if you're not moving, he can't steer. 
And I'm pretty sure that God transformed my life through that one metaphor. Right when I left that office, that's when I called PC and was like, okay, I'm going to go. Okay, last point is religion hates metaphors. Religion hates metaphors. Religion is basically being content with what God has already revealed to you. Okay, so God revealed something to you when you were first saved. I'm content with it. I don't want anything more. Okay, I want to keep everything that he's given me and preserve it. I want to bury that talent and not take it out until I have to. That's what religion is. Okay, religion is all about preserving. Okay, like the Pharisees, preserving the law, preserving tradition, keeping it from ambition, keeping it from creativity. Religion has a fear of metaphors. And so they want to sing the same songs. Like Pastor Marcus said earlier in our prayer time, they want to sit in the same seats all the time. <laughs> he was saying that he was, he, he was a little grieved earlier when he felt like everyone was always sitting in the same seats. It was almost like they became assigned seats. And it was like, come on, like let's change things up, right? Um. Religion actually can I share one more testimony? <laughs> um, so do you guys remember um, when Rodney Henderson came? Remember so remember when he released that word about prophetic roosters? So when he first said that, when he first started talking about roosters, I was like Immediately walls went up <laughs> because I remember this one testimony that Pastor Christian talked about a while back. I think he was saying that he went to some conference, a lady approached him and was telling him a testimony about how she, she manifested by crowing like a rooster and then all the kids received holy laughter. Okay. And I remember that testimony and I, I was thinking, oh no. Okay. I was okay with that. Yeah. I'm not religious. I'm okay with that if other people do it. But is Rodney Henderson trying to release that in New Philly? <laughs> Especially when he had us all stand up and crow. I was like, oh my gosh, it's coming. But, <laughs> but when he actually started explaining, right? Started explaining why it was. So what, for, any, for you guys that weren't there, okay, Rodney Henderson was saying he went on a mission trip to Honduras. There, he encountered a lot of roosters. They woke him up every morning. He really hated them. He wanted to kill them. Okay. <laughs> and then one night, God speaks to him and says, Rodney, do you hate my roosters? And Rodney goes, yes, Lord, I hate your roosters. <laughs> and then the Lord goes, but Rodney, you're a rooster. And then Rodney goes, no, <laughs> no way. You know, it's kind of like Nicodemus. What are you talking about? I'm not a rooster. Okay. And, but, but God goes, no, let me explain. Kind of like how God explained to Nicodemus. Let me explain why you need to be reborn again. Okay. Let me explain. Roosters are prophetic messengers. Roosters understand the hour in which they live and they see the rising of the morning star and shout, wake up, wake up, wake up. You guys remember that? Okay, that metaphor was really powerful for me because 
If you guys remember when Kirk and Rodney actually came before that to the leadership retreat, <laughs> they prayed over the Chinese people. <laughs> and one way that I responded with <laughs> was I kept saying, awaken, awaken. And I had no idea what that meant. And I, immediately when he talked about roosters, my religious walls went up. I was like, uh, I'm not sure about this. But when he explained it, I w- everything made sense. And I was saying, Lord, I am a rooster. <laughs> if my religious walls were up, I would not have been able to be renewed in that way. I really, really believe that this year of inspiration is going to be a really powerful offense against religion. I think that when we make new songs, we're going to come up with really new metaphors. Okay, when we do ministry, we're going to do ministry in a really different way. If you feel dry, have you been like Nicodemus and did you seek God for a new metaphor because he'll give it to you okay even the notion of did you were you like Nicodemus a Pharisee that should already shift your paradigm what when religion goes out of fashion okay Nicodemuses start coming out okay and religion will go out of fashion but when the Nicodemuses come, okay, seeking God, and they come into this church, are they going to find a church that is full of the new, fresh revelation that God is revealing to them? Or are they going to find a church that's just the same, full of the same dead language that they can get at at any other church? When we, you know, I'm exhorting guys, dive into these new metaphors. But one thing I really want to stress is I'm not telling you guys to go crazy, okay? I'm not telling you to start saying, like, see that God has motherly traits and start saying, like, oh, heavenly mother, like, she knows my name. You don't know. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying, okay? What did I mention before? What did I mention before? I mentioned that metaphors always return us to God, okay? The sub the the subversive function of the Bible always returns us to our first love. It always returns us to the original intent. Okay? So I really want you to keep that in mind. And you know, even when we sing, when we close this this time, at Friday Fire, when you sing, you know, reflect upon your first love. If you've gone dry, okay, remember who saved you. Okay, when you sing, you know, one song that Pastor Isaac always leads us in is that song, you know, Rose of Sharon, he is Yahweh. You know that song. Do you all even know what Rose of Sharon is? <laughs> Don't just sing dead words. It doesn't do anything. When we sing, let's let's really try to put this message into practice. Amen? Okay. I'm going to close this in prayer.
God, I just thank you so much for just releasing such fresh revelation, God, into this room and convicting hearts, God. I pray, Lord, that you would be a constant metaphor changer, Lord, that there's not one single attribute that completely embodies who you are. And so, God, I pray that as your people, God, your children, God, your sons, God, come to you crying, Abba, Father, Lord, that even the metaphor of the representation of a father, God, would start to shift, God, as sons of the house that we would even be able to know more of what a father means god that you would really renew our minds god in that way lord that every single religious wall god will be broken down right now in the name of jesus god and that this house god in this year of inspiration god would grow lord through creativity god that we would be a mighty weapon against religion god that is plaguing so many churches today God, I thank you, Lord, that you are God that is always changing, not changing, but revealing yourself, God. And that with that, Lord, we get so much closer to you and you draw us so much nearer to you each time you reveal yourself to us. So I thank you, God, that you are always faithful to reveal yourself to us when we come to seek you. And God, fill us with the fresh fire today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.